Well, I greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be here in this special occasion for this congregation and for you visitors that are here because of relationships and just caring about what happens here. And those thoughts that, that were mentioned here and the songs we sang, uh, thinking about God leading us. And as God leads us, Leads us into what, I guess I would say, as a question. And I, the broad answer to that is we, God has led us to do something, to, to be involved somehow. And this morning I like to think about serving. There's a made up story about four people, and their names are everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. One day there was a big important job that needed to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody ended up doing it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job to do. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody would not get it done. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Now that's a bit humorous and, and confusing. But there's work for all to do. And the challenge this morning to, is to be available for what God has called us to. We know, all know how it is when there's something that needs to be done. And we know it's going to take time and effort and sacrifice and energy to get that done. And we tend to look, I tend to look around at others. Who could do this? Because this really needs to be done. And if we're not careful, nobody gets it done. And I think we understand that we can't do everything. We're not super people. And we're not even called to do everything. We know that. But the challenge this morning is, am I willing to go beyond what I am naturally comfortable with? to serve. We all know that we live in a me-first society full of proud and selfish people and there's been too many times that I've been just like them in some way. What a challenge it is to remember our calling to serve. So today is a special day in this congregation as a brother joins the leadership team here at Bethel. And so this message and, and the thinking in the last number of weeks about this occasion and praying about this process here at Bethel, choosing a leader, the, this is the, the message that is a result of all that. And to Galen and Colleen, God's richest blessings to you as you accept this role. But the subject of serving is not just for the ordained. All of us are called to serve. All of us. There's not a single person here who is exempt from the call of God to serve in some way. So I would challenge us this morning to think and pray for and support this special couple, for this special work in this congregation. But let's also be challenged and think about our own calling, whatever it may be. We are called to serve. Whether we're ordained to the ministry or not, we are called to serve. 
The verse on the board here, Isaiah 6, verse 8, where Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. I am available. I want to do the work of the Lord. So why would anyone serve someone else? We're born selfish. Soon after you and I were born, we wanted somebody to feed us, right? And of course, as infants, we were helpless and we would have eventually died had not somebody sacrificed their time and, uh, to feed us. At the time, you and I were unconscious of the, that fact that someone sacrificed for us so we could survive. All we knew about and cared about was, I'm hungry. We demanded that someone feed us. And as we grew, we discovered ways to serve others. And, and the, the joy and the smiles and the encouragement that uh, we received when we as a child, serve someone, wash the dishes or swept the floor or whatever it may have been. That could be a selfish thing, I suppose, to do something just for the sake of recognition. But if our parents were doing their part, they taught us that serving other people and loving other people is simply the right thing to do. And it's a blessing to serve others. It's a joy to serve others. Somewhere along the line, we discovered that God wants us to serve others and care for those people. So for a passage for us to look at, to begin with, is Matthew chapter 20. I'd like to read verses 24 to 28. No matter what God has called you to in life, God has called you to serve. Matthew 20, verse 24. This is the the occasion where the two disciples won a special place in Christ's kingdom. kingdom. And they ask about that, and the other disciples are not happy about that request. We'll begin at verse 24. When the ten heard of it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, that they are... They that are great, exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even if the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So we know the story here. The ten disciples are upset with the two that made this request. See that in verse 24. And Jesus gives a strong statement here that his servants are not to act like the servants of the kingdom of this world. Proud, selfish, wanting other people to serve them. But rather his servants are to be serving others. You see that in verse 27. Let him be your servant. And Jesus himself demonstrated so beautifully how it is but should be to serve people around him. Verse 28, we see that. And we know that Jesus served out of a heart of love and compassion for others. And this is something that, that we struggle to do sometimes. Um, I would challenge myself, uh, as, as I think about what I do every day, 
How much of that time is serving me and how much of that time is serving others? It's a challenging thing to think about. And I know we need both. But I wonder what my motives are behind what I do each day. And this is a complicated thing and probably impossible for the human heart to evaluate accurately. But we know that God knows our priorities. He knows the intent of our heart. And I'll challenge us this morning to let God reveal to us uh, what our heart motives are. There's a lot that we need to learn about ourselves and be challenged with. Because here's the thing. If Jesus is so clear to his disciples that his disciples are to be servants and be serving, then we need to be serious about serving. Really serious. This matter to Jesus. And with the deceitful human heart within us, even as we serve, it's possible to serve with a little pride, a little selfish motive, sneaking in there more than we would care to admit. So why do we serve? Well, we can serve because we have to. We can serve because people expect us to. We can serve because we want people to admire what we do. We can serve because we're afraid of the consequences of not serving. Those are not all wrong reasons to serve. I suppose some of those reasons are mixed in the purpose of, of why we're serving. I suppose we would all struggle to serve if we felt like our efforts are unappreciated, unnoticed, they're pointless, nobody cared, or maybe the, our service is even resented or misunderstood. We would struggle to serve in those kind of conditions. But as we think about serving, what if instead of serving because we have to, or serving because we don't like the consequences of not serving, what if we serve because we were inspired to? Think about the difference that would bring. In fact, that's the title of the message this morning, Inspired to Serve. I suppose we've all done this. We went to a place of business, and the person behind the counter or however that situation might be, maybe they were not rude or unfriendly, but you could sense they're really not all that interested in serving you. They're doing their job, but they're bored, they're uninterested. Going through the motions. On the other hand, maybe you've been to another place of business where you are served by someone who is not only doing their job, they cared about you, they were interested in serving you, they, they wanted to help, they found enjoyment in helping, they were enthusiastic, they wanted to make sure you're well served, and they felt a sense of fulfillment in serving you. And we know that the difference that that makes, even in a business setting. So the church is not a business, and maybe that's not a very good comparison. But why do we serve? What is the motive? Take that question home with you this week and think and pray about that. Why is it? that you and I are serving. What is the motive of my heart? Jesus said that his disciples are to serve.
serving because they want to. This morning I'd like to consider the life of Paul. We would consider Paul to be uh, an excellent example of someone who is serving. He is a former enemy of Jesus and his followers, but he became an amazing servant of Jesus. So what was it that drove Paul to become a servant and to, to pour his life out for so many years? What was his passion as he served? Let me read a few verses and just listen and ponder the motives of why Paul lived a life of service. Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Another one, Philippians 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. And I will very gladly be spent, spend and be spent for you. And 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. It's the end of Paul's life here. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all, unto all them also that love his appearing. So those are just a sampling of the testimony of Paul. You can catch a glimpse of why he was serving, the motive behind his service. And what it was that drove him to live the way he did. Now, I'm sure that Paul served because he desired to obey the Lord's instructions. He was instructed there on the road to Damascus, very clear instructions. And I'm sure the Lord led him uh, along the way through the years. Obedience is important, and Paul did that. So there's a big difference between how Paul responded to the call of God in comparison to how it was for Jonah, for example, when God called him to go do something. Something we can learn here. Paul obeyed with a heart, uh, pure motives in his heart. Jonah eventually obeyed, and, but we're one, we always wonder about the motives of his heart. It seems like that Jonah did not wish for the people of Nineveh what he had been blessed with himself. He didn't want those people to have that, evidently. And I think about that in my sometimes reluctance to serve other people. I'm incredibly blessed, and so are you. How selfish can I be when I'm reluctant to share what I've been blessed with? with someone else. Jonah was angry, evidently felt justified in his anger. God extended his mercy toward those people of Nineveh. And God had just extended mercy to Jonah in the bottom of the sea. What if Jonah would have been inspired to serve 
the people of, of Nineveh? What if his heart would have yearned for those people to know the Lord? What if he had wanted to live among them, maybe, or to help them learn to worship the Lord and to serve the Lord, rather than distancing himself up on the hill waiting for their destruction? What if Jonah would have had the heart of Abraham when he interceded for the city of Sodom? What if Jonah would have prayed, Lord, if there are ten righteous people in the city of Nineveh, would you spare it? So we're critical of, of Jonah. And of course, we don't have all the details of his life or understand very well what his heart motives were. Be that as it may. But my point here is that obedience is important. I need to learn to obey even when I don't want to obey. But how much better is it when I want to obey? How much better is it when the heart of God becomes my passion? How much more effective our obedience would be if we obey because God's will has become ours? How much better would it be if we would understand the love or begin to understand the love of God for people and begin in our own hearts to have that same kind of love? So in light of those thoughts, we're going to think about uh, Paul and how he passionately served God in the early church here this morning. What was it that drove Paul? And I am sure that Paul was not simply trying to impress anyone with his abilities. I don't think Paul was some sort of a reckless adventurer out to experience life on the edge of danger. I don't think Paul served because he got a lot of views on YouTube and people were becoming his fans and enjoying his travels and his adventures. He certainly did not serve because it made him lots of money. Paul didn't serve because he enjoyed being the center of attention or because he just enjoyed bossing people around. No, Paul had another, something else that drove him to do what he did. He went through a lot to bring the gospel to the world. Nobody goes to prison just to boost their ego. Nobody, nobody endures being beaten until everybody thinks you're dead if your reason is just to have bragging rights. Nobody wants to be shipwrecked in a terrible storm as a prisoner if all he gets is the admiration of others. Paul didn't run from the call of God as Jonah did. Both, I don't know if you thought about this, but both Paul and Jonah experienced a close brush with death, almost drowning in the sea. But Paul experienced the dangers of the sea while he was doing God's will, while Jonah was running away from God's will. There's a big difference there. So how did Paul go through all these hard things without becoming discouraged and just giving up? Why didn't Paul say it's too hard, it's too painful, it's too discouraging, it's too complicated, it's too humiliating, it's too wet, <laughs> it's too dangerous, or too whatever? Why wasn't Paul resentful toward those Romans, those Gentiles who didn't have the right bloodlines as he did? I don't know how you'd answer the question of what was it that drove Paul to do what he did. 
for it. His purpose in life would have been. I believe that Paul's life was one of obedience. He faithfully did what God had called him to, to do. But I think it was more, much more than a reluctant obedience because I have to sort of obedience. I think Paul served because he had caught the vision, the heart of the Lord to reach the world with the truth. Paul had somehow caught that. And Paul never lost his zeal through all those hard experiences. So this morning we we're thinking a little about what was the motivation behind Paul's life. Now, I don't know how you would list those things, motivators in Paul's life. We're just going to look at three of them. Now, I know there's more, but we're going to look at three of them here this morning that maybe we can learn something from and, and apply to our lives. I think these th three things are, are foundational. These are things, actually, that Paul wrote himself, things that motivated him. And we're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to see what those things were that Paul said motivated him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we're not going to think this morning of what did not motivate Paul. I already mentioned some of those things that could have Things that motivate many people, like wealth or power or whatever, those things wasn't what drove Paul. The three things that I think were foundational in Paul's work, he says so himself in Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I think it would, would do us good to consider these things as we think about what we have call, been called to do in the kingdom of God. So as we read these verses, let's notice the motivating things in Paul's life. Many things to think about here, but let's especially notice what were those things that motivated him. I'm going to break in at verse 9 and read to verse 11. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There it is. Did you catch it? Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. For we are made manifest unto God, and a trust also are made manifest in your consciences. I'll stop reading there. Paul is giving one of the motivating factors that drives him to serving the kingdom of God. And I would just call it the fear of God. In verse 11, King James calls it the terror of God. And the word terror has the idea of fear. And fear has several meanings, as we're all aware. Fear can mean being afraid of something. Fear can also mean a deep reverence on all. And Paul is writing that one of the things that motivates him is the fear of God, or the terror of God, as the King James says. And for the unbeliever, they, of course, are fearful of judgment and eternal punishment. Hebrews says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is a fearful thing, Hebrews 10, verse 31. Fear of punishment, being scared of God, or what he will do. But for the believer, they have a different kind of fear. It's a reverence is kind of a um, shallow way of saying it. It's deeper than that somehow. 
I struggle in, the, in our language to say what this word really means, the fear of God. Hebrews 12 verse 28 talks about serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And this kind of fear is much deeper than a shallow respect. It's an understanding, I think, embracing the, the will of God, the heart of God, and how he cares for his people, his holiness, his purity, his purposes, and so on. And I think this is one of the major motivator things in Paul's life, the fear of God. Paul was inspired to serve, not only knowing that judgment day is coming, he's going to have to give an account for his life, and not only respecting the sovereignty of God, but I believe that Paul had also caught a glimpse of God's heart. And when Paul began to understand the heart of God, that motivated him to serve God's people. So I wonder if I'm like Paul or if I'm like Jonah, <laughs> what the purpose is of why I'm serving. Now, if I'm serving because I have to, I'm sure God can take in, imperfect things to fulfill his purpose. He did with Jonah, probably the, the most incredible revival in all of Scripture happened with a reluctant servant, Jonah. But how much better if you and I would catch a glimpse of the heart of God, seek to understand the heart of God and his purpose for our lives and the, and the people around us, God help us in that. The fear of God, a motivating factor, needs to be a part of our life. So, it matters what people think of us, but it matters much more what God thinks. And Paul had a passion for fulfilling what God had called him to do. Now, I don't think it's right to have the attitude, well, it's just God and me and nobody else matters. Because everybody does matter. In fact, everybody matters to God. It's very close to the heart of God. It's God's will that you and I serve people. But my point here is that God's priority needs to become our priority. And God's priority is first in the life. And then comes people and the bride of Christ. And somewhere down the priority list somewhere is myself. So what motivated Paul and needs to motivate you and I to serve? I think one of the things is the fear of God. That sense of awe and worship, respect. That's kind of a shallow way to say it. But intense desire to do what God wants and to fulfill what God wants done. So it challenges us to think about that. For a second thought, a thing that I want to look at this morning that was a motivating factor in, in Paul's life that he mentions here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is found in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. The love of God, the love of God 
inspired and motivated Paul. The word constraineth, as the King James says it, has the it's a, a verb, it's an action word, has the idea of something that compels us to action, motivates us. Uh, another meaning would be to tie the loose ends together into one uh, in a focused effort, like the strands maybe of a rope, putting it all together so the all together can focus on one thing or do one particular job. I think the New King James and the NIV possibly uses the word compel. He had one, I think, one of his versions. I think that's what it uses. ESV maybe uses the word control, the idea of, again, of focusing our efforts on something. Paul said the love of God compelled him, constrained him, focused his efforts. The love of God narrows our focus in life into those things that matter. And the less important things are put down the priority list somewhere. I notice who it is that is being constrained. For the love of Christ constraineth us. So he's not just talking about himself. It's a plural word. It's not just Paul that's being constrained, but it's his readers as well, evidently. Or believers. Not sure who all Paul's talking about, is, but it's more than just himself. The love of God was one of the compelling, controlling, priority adjusting things in Paul's life that inspired him to serve. Now, I will not try to unpack all what Paul is saying here in this, these very deep verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I believe Paul was inspired to a life of service because of the love of God. And that's what I'd like for us to notice here. Paul mentions at least three proofs of the love of God here in this passage. Notice the first part of verse 15. He that died for all, a proof of the love of God. The cross, Jesus dying for our sins so that we can be forgiven. What an amazing proof of the love of God. Galatians 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as he lived, I don't think Paul ever forgot the cross. The amazing love that was demonstrated there. And we dare not forget the cross. When we go through tough times in life, remember what Jesus went through for our salvation. When we're misunderstood and criticized and created treated cruelly by others. Remember what Jesus experienced for you and I. When we're weary and ready to give up, remember the cross. I think the cross inspired Paul to a life of service because behind that cross was the love of God demonstrated so beautifully. Notice the last part of verse 15, another proof of the love of God. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Another proof of the love of God, I think, that impacted Paul tremendously and should impact us was the fact that Christ rose again. And that gives us eternal life and gives us hope 
And all the forces of men and the power of Satan could not hold Jesus in the grave. And this so inspired and motivated Paul that he was able to face death and persecution and many hard things, knowing that the power of God can and will snatch victory right out of the jaws of death. And how about you and I? Should not the empty tomb inspire us? We serve a living God. A living Lord. Our Lord is not just some historical figure back there someplace that did nice things. But He lives right in our hearts. And He's with us. That's an amazing proof of the love of God. That ought to inspire us to then serve. Verse 17 is another proof of the love of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The proof of the love of God is a transforming power in a believer's life. God doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants to change us to be more like Christ. God's seen potential in that young man named Saul. As arrogant and as vicious as he was. An enemy of the way, as it says in the King James. God didn't want any of us to stay in our sinful state. He wants to change us. He sustains growth in the life of the believer. The new creature is a lifelong process that God always pursues in our lives. God did not call you and I because we're such wonderful people. Not any better than anyone else down the street or around the world. But God calls us, grows us, sustains us, because of his unfailing love and his enabling grace. It's a proof of the love of God. And the love of God inspired and compelled Paul to life of service. And I believe it should do the same for you and I. Verse 14 again. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Sometimes I've misread this verse. Why do we serve the Lord? Why, does, why did Paul serve the Lord? Was it because that Paul loved God and that compelled him to serve the Lord? Our well, love for the Lord certainly should compel us to serve God, but Paul does not say that it was his love for the Lord that compelled him to serve the Lord, but rather it was the love of Christ for him that compelled Paul to serve. It's a little bit different way of thinking about this. Wasn't that Paul's love for God was so amazing, although it must have been tremendous and strong. But what Paul is saying here, I think, is that the amazing love of God is what compelled Paul to serve. To me, that says that Paul learned to know God and understood God as he matured in his Christian life. Paul's heart was changed as we talked about what God wants to do in our life. And Paul began to understand God's love for other people and I think that compelled him to serve other people. So as we go through life trying to serve, we don't always feel like serving, do we? Serving can be difficult at times. Sometimes we feel discouraged or tired or misunderstood or unmotivated or burned out. 
And we cannot somehow manufacture within ourselves what we need to faithfully serve day after day, year after year. It's not possible in just human strength. But as we remember the amazing love of God, just like it was for Paul, we will be inspired and compelled to life of service. God has loved me and you, and that urges us to life of service. And as we embrace the love of God, it changes how we relate to people around us. The third thing that I want to notice here in these uh, verses that inspired Paul to life of service was the call of God, verses 18 to 20. And all things are of God, which hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us, given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. I think I'll stop reading there. Now, I'm not going to dive into all the deep theology in these verses, verses, but I, I just want to call us to, to notice what Paul mentions in the last part of verse 18. The ministry, he hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we could talk about Paul's personal call on the road to Damascus, and I'm sure Paul never forgot that encounter with the Lord. God doesn't call everybody to do exactly what he called Paul to do. But God ha has called his people to the ministry of reconciliation. And that's interesting and convicting, actually, to think about. How does this ministry of reconciliation, how does that calling change what we do every day? We're not just doing pointless and temporal things every day. We are called to a ministry of reconciliation. I would challenge us to think about that. Seeking to reconcile sinful man to God. Now, we're not the Savior. We can't forgive sins and all those kinds of things. We certainly can help someone to find the help they need. So there can be reconciliation between God and man. We're not called to the ministry of condemnation. We're called to the ministry of reconciliation. We can all quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world. But let's not forget verse 17 where Jesus said, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Reconciliation is what Jesus is talking about. We know that sin will be judged. Every person will give an account to God for their lives, but it's God's will that sinful man be reconciled. And when we understand that, get a grip of that, and understand that's our calling, to be a, a part of that, that ought to motivate us to be a servant. Now, we're called to different occupations, different things to focus on, and so on. But in all the variety of the work of the kingdom of God, I think that you could all put it underneath the, the, the greater job description, the greater heading of serving God and helping people be reconciled to God. 
doesn't that change the way we look at employment or making a living, earning a living, accumulating wealth and pursuing the worldly idols of this world in our own comfort and pleasure? Doesn't that change the way we relate to people? What if we kept in mind that God has called us to help others be reconciled to God? Of course, we need to call sin what it is. It doesn't mean that we overlook sin. I believe Paul called sin what it was. He didn't compromise. But Paul seemed to know that his calling was not just to identify sin with a label and a stamp. That's wrong. But his call was also to help sinful people be reconciled. And so are you and I called to that ministry. Verses, uh, last part of verse 18, mention it. Verse, end of verse 19. Where am I at here? Verse 20. Talks about ambassadors. Yes, in verse 20. Ambassadors for Christ. That means we are to represent God to the people around us. Even as we are citizens, uh, foreigners, and we belong to a different, we're citizens of a different kingdom. We're foreigners in this land. And all that Paul was involved in in his life, he always seemed to remember that he was in this world uh, for a purpose. He knew what that purpose was, what his calling was. And he was inspired to serve. And I hope his inspirations, his motivations will inspire us to follow his example. So in closing, let me encourage us in that whatever it is that God has chosen for us to do in life, let's be reminded, let's be inspired by the same things that inspired Paul. It's a life of faithful service. Now I know that I, we haven't thought about near all the things probably that inspired and motivated Paul. But three of them that we thought about, the fear of God, the love of God, and the call of God, covers a lot of territory in our lives. And as we consider our priorities in life, may we be encouraged by what inspired Paul to a life of simple, sincere, steadfast, focused service. I'd like to close in John 21. And I would challenge us to consider our lives. What is it that motivates us to do whatever we do in life? John 21, verses 20 through 22. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, following which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, saith unto Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. May the fear of God, the love of God, and the call of God motivate us, inspire us to life of faithful service in following Jesus. God bless you. Galen and Colleen today and years to come. And God bless you for your willingness to serve. And God bless the Bethel congregation as you seek to support 
who God has called to this work.